your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. The last days of Judah being an independent kingdom are now quickly coming to an end. And in spite of all the mercy that God had showed the people and all the judgments and the warnings that God had to send to their fathers and of the influence and the example of the good kings that they were given and the holy prophets that God raised up, the people were becoming more evil. And during this time of decline and decay, Josiah becomes king to redeem at least for a while the history of his nation and to save it from its coming doom. Josiah has become king now. And he's leading a movement that resulted in the greatest revival that these people had ever had after David and Solomon. And the reason is because we, it says that Josiah did what was right in the eye, in the sight of the Lord. The revival started with him. Understand, that's all it takes is one person to start a revival. So let's begin with verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was, Jed- was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right <clears throat> in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Notice he didn't take any detours from following the Lord. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah, that the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work, to repair the damages of the house to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. So Josiah begins to rebuild or repair the temple. There's new beginnings here. And someone has said that the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. First, we see the beginning of a reign, a new king. Josiah, he was eight years old when he became king. But like his grandfather Manasseh, who was 12 years old when he became king, they were in danger, Josiah was in danger of being influenced by his godless attendants. But God watched over Josiah. And God guided Josiah in the right direction. And his mother Jedida was probably a godly mother, a godly example. Secondly, we see the beginning of grace. In 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 3, it gives us the first sign that Josiah was determined to seek Jehovah God. We read, for in the eighth year of his reign, when he was 16 years old, again, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And from this time on, his reign seems to have been a consistent one. Because we read in verse 2 here, he walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Third, we see as a result 
things started to change for good. The writer gives us another date here. In the 12th year, it says, of Josiah's reign. It says that he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images in 2 Chronicles 34.3. So a religious uh, reformation started in the land. So at 20 years old, the changes mentioned started in the 12th year of Josiah, went on until after his 18th year when he was 26 years old. And he probably had to start slowly and carefully dealing with the the more obvious abuses and gradually feeling his way around to make more daring changes because the people probably strongly opposed his changes. As people usually do, they don't like change. In the 18th year, that is up to now, up to the 18th year, whatever Josiah had done was more or less personal. The nation's heart hadn't been touched yet. Nor was there any excitement stirred up in them for the new reforms that Josiah was now implementing. It was probably just the opposite. In other words, these changes that Josiah were implementing probably stirred up a lot of bitterness with the people. And a lot of angry resistance. Because how often do you hear, what was wrong with the way things were? Why did we have to change? I like the way we were doing this. Understand, ministries always change. Ministers, leaders are always changing, but the work of God goes on. So blessed are the flexible, as Pastor Chuck used to say, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. The reason for this immediate change was because they found the book of the law. They found the word of God. They found it in the temple. While they were making the repairs that Josiah ordered, they came across the Bible. The Word of God. And the Word of God should bring changes to your life. Do you say that the Bible, do you say you believe in the authority of the Bible? Then does it impact the way you live? Tertullian, one of the early church fathers said, you can judge the quality of their faith from the way they behave. Discipline is an index to their doctrine. Now, looking only at just the repairs of the temple, we see some things. We see that those repairs were very good. There's no record that any repairs were done on the temple since the days of Hezekiah. At which time, the temple was often totally neglected. And idolatrous kings, they had made changes in the structure of God's temple to suit their own purposes. You know, they made additions to the temple. They, they tore down sections of the temple to make additions and, and to do what they wanted to do in the temple. There were damages to repair, according to verse 5. The roof needed beams. We see that in 2 Chronicles 34, 11. And a lot of carpentry and mason work was needed all through the temple. You know, it's really hard to understand how God's people who live in their own nice houses, you know, they keep them up. Hey, we paint them. We take, you know, seconds out on them sometimes to make home improvements and and the landscaping and things as such. You know, it's hard to understand how often we as God's people can often be so uncaring about the condition of the house of God where we worship him. Listen to what it says. Haggai, in Haggai 1, verses 1 through 11, when God spoke to the people about this subject, it says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, 
governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts and saying, This people, his people, this people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. They're saying, yeah, it's not time yet to take care of the Lord's house. Then, after they said that, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet and said, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple, my house, to, dwell, to, to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Think about what you're doing. Think about your behavior. You've sown much. And you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You're still hungry. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put them into bags with holes. You're working hard. You're earning money. And yet you're, you, you don't have anything. You're still hungry. You're still thirsty. It's like you're putting your money into bags with holes in it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Think about what's going on. He said, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build a temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much. He said, you looked for much, but indeed it came to little. In other words, you looked for a lot in your harvest. You look for a big harvest, but it says, indeed, it came to little. You didn't have much of a harvest. And when you brought it home, he says, I blew it away. Whatever you had, I blew it away. He says, why? Why, says the Lord of hosts. He goes on to say, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I, God, called for a drought on the land and the mountains and on the grain and the new wine and the oil on wherever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and in all the labor of your hands. You don't want to take care of my house. There will be a consequence. When people don't show any desire to keep the church and its surroundings in decent condition, it's a sign of a lack of enthusiasm for God. Notice that the funds were already collected to do the repairs. The funds for doing the repairs on the Lord's house had been obtained by voluntary collections at the door of the temple, verse 4 tells us. And King Josiah sent Shaphan the scribe to Hilkiah the high priest to add up the money that had been collected there, according to verse 3 and 4. These collections from the people, which must have been going on for some time, showed that the worship of Jehovah was now regularly going on. They also teach us a lesson here. How to pay for the church building and the repairs needed. The money was raised before the repairs were started. A great principle. And if it's followed more often, we'd save a lot of trouble with church debt and pressuring the people. Hey, guys, you got to give more. Man, you know, we're hurting and, and you need to, you know, hey, dig deep in the pockets and and you hear that all the time in churches. And it was raised voluntarily. The people were not taxed. They weren't handed out pledge cards when they walked into the temple. They weren't forced in any way to give this money. They didn't receive phone calls, figuratively speaking. We know they didn't have phones, but you know, they, there was no kind of solicitation. They gave of their own free will. And the amount needed was raised with no problem. 
Today, you often see the methods of man, rummage sales, car washes, bake sales, and so on. They're so poor compared to the Old Testament plan here. And even if trusting and voluntary contributions doesn't bring in what's needed, it's still the best way to go, depending on the Lord. And again, Pastor Chuck always taught us, and you've heard me say it before, that where God guides, God provides. It's his church. And if he establishes that church, and he calls a pastor to set up, to, to, to establish that church, God knows what that church is going to need. God knows exactly what's going to be needed. Thus, he provides for it. It may not be the way you want him to or in a timely manner, that, but he, he shows you, hey, trust me by faith. When we started in the Eastland Theater, we were there for seven years before the city said, time to go. Now, during those years, I would drive around looking for buildings in Covina and West Covina. Found nothing. Then I started looking in Baldwin Park and Irwindale. Nothing. And when we were told we had to move out of the theater, I thought, Lord, where are we going to go? I kind of felt like a little kind of a Moses. We had about 500 people at the time. Like, where, where, where are we, we going to go? And you know, I think we had about a deadline of three months to move out of the theater and find another place. Within a couple of weeks, we found some apartment-type offices right here on Rue Royale off of um, Barranca near uh, San Bernardino Road. And we were able to rent them, and we were able to do whatever we wanted to those offices. We converted them to children's classrooms. We converted them to offices. We had a, a courtyard where we held you know, uh, different kinds of, of ministries. And you know, we had the children's church there, uh, but w- there was no place for the congregation to meet. So we met at the Covina Women's, Cl- Women's Club. And we did that for about a year. Now, we lost probably about 100 people or more because, you know, they had to drop their people off there at Rue Royale, and then they had to go to the women's club for church and to go back to the women's club to pick up their children, and they just didn't want to deal with that. You know, they, they, it was an inconvenience for them. But they missed out on the venture of faith that we've experienced watching the Lord provide. While we were at Rue Royale, the facility there, there was a member of this church at the time. It was a Church of Christ scientist. And, and Pastor Steve, you know, he, he, he made friends with a lot of the people that came around. And this guy was in the Chamber of Commerce. And he'd come and he'd give flyers about what was going on in the city. And you know, him and Steve would, you know, struck, uh, struck up a friendship. And, uh, you know, he said, hey, you know, are you guys interested in buying, buying, you know, buying, buying a church, buying this building? And we said, yeah. And then when we found out the price and we went to the bank, said, no, it's, it's, you know, above the market, it's overpriced, and you know, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't, you know, give us the loan. And then we got the notice we had to get out of the women's club. Oh, man, where are we going to go now? Because we didn't, the city said, you don't have a conditional use permit to use it as a church. Great, now what, Lord? And it wasn't long after that, this same guy came back several months later and said, are you guys still interested in the church? Yeah, but I said, we're not going to buy it at that price. We can't. He said, no, no. He said, we've lowered it. And the bank said, yes, it's, it's within the market. And so we were able to purchase it. But the point is, is that at the time we moved out of the, out of the, um, um, the theater, that seven years, you know, God was working in the background. If we'd have found a church right away, we didn't have a down payment to give the, to, to, to the bank. In that seven years, with the people that we had, we were able to save up $500,000. The, the, the theater was, three, uh, was 
I think, 25,000 square feet. All we were paying was $2,500 a month. That's unheard of, but not with God. It was less than a dollar a square foot. So when he moved us out, we had saved up that money, and then when we went to Rue Royale, we were there for about a year, and, and that was pretty inexpensive. We didn't have a lot of overhead, so we were able to save more. And, 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 you know, and, and when we moved out, every time God found us a place pretty quickly. And then when we were able to purchase this building, we had the down payment because that seven years that God just kept us kind of in limbo, we had the money when the door was open, the opportunity came to purchase this church. But it's God's timing and God's provision. Wait upon the Lord so that we, you don't you have to borrow and put people in debt and pressure and, and, and you can, you know, the pastor can sleep at night knowing that God's got it covered. And that's what we see here where the people voluntarily gave to take care of the needs of the church. Look at verses 8 through 20. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes, which was a sign of mourning and grief. Then the king commanded Helkiah, the priest, Ahikam, the son of Japhon, Achbor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, uh, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is roused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asiah, they went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Herhas, um, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and you wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. The finding of the book of the law, the word of God in the temple was the turning point in Josiah's reformation and the changes that he was making. Think about it. Can you imagine? 
I mean, it seems unthinkable that the book of the law, the word of God, could be lost in the church. This scroll was probably all five books of Moses, also called the Pentateuch. It's like losing the Bible in the church and not missing it for years. We read in verse 8, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And we see that it was sinfully lost. What a treasure the word of God is. And you would think the words that God spoke to this nation through Moses, the statutes, the judgments, the commandments that he ordered them to keep, which constituted their great glorious people. I mean, the psalmist said, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Do you consider the word of God a treasure, a great treasure at that? You can hear Paul say, what advantage does the Jew have? Oh, he said much in every way. And he says, chiefly because to you were committed the oracles of God. You were given the word of God. And yet this law of God had been so sinfully neglected that the very knowledge of it had almost disappeared from the land and the book that contained it had disappeared. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, said this about the Bible. This book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. The king had neglected it. The one who most of all should have been its biggest protector. The officials of the court had neglected it. The priests who were in charge of God's house neglected it. And they allowed it to remain unread until it ended up in some corner or some room where it was buried under a dusty pile of trash and lost sight of. What a terrible sin. To neglect such a wonderful treasure. It's as if there was a deliberate plot. To put this Bible out of existence. And that's why Satan loves to keep you from reading it. Because it's the only weapon you have against him. That's what he did with Eve in the garden when he when he when, when he was talking to Eve and, and getting Eve to doubt the word of God and to believe what he was saying. Because the minute Satan got Eve to doubt the word of God, he disarmed her of the only weapon she had against him. And Satan wants to disarm you of the most powerful weapon you have against evil, against Satan and against the darkness of this world. Today, there's the same danger of the knowledge of the Word of God, the Bible, being lost in past times of history. But it's not because there's a strong hatred of it as much as there's a great neglect of it. You know, it's kind of a talk contradiction. Oh, I just love my Bible. I love the Word of God. And then not read it for weeks and weeks. Or days and even days. We read in, in Amos 8, 11 through 12. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, but not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. What would happen if one day, and, and, and it could be possible if the Lord tarried, that, that 
the Bibles are banned. They're taken away from us. Do you know the Word of God in your heart? So that when you need to, the Holy Spirit can bring up those Scriptures to your remembrance. How many professed Christians do not open the book, the Word of God, from one day to the next? How many don't bring them to church? Or even open them in church? Hey, if you need a Bible, we'll give you one. Many Christians are just as unaware of what's in the Bible as the heathens in primitive jungles. Many more have lost whatever knowledge they do have or once had through neglect. And in the case of many more, its truths are not at work in their life as if the book was really lost to them. They've lost the Bible in the church. Again, the Word of God is our only weapon. The Word of God has warnings as well as rewards. God's Word, Hebrews tells us, is alive. It's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. There's no shortcut. There's no easy way. There's no methodology to revival corporately or individually. We have tons of books today on Christian experience. Experience. Understand that Christian experience is important, but it does not determine the truth. That's why John said, these things are written so that you will know. So that when you don't have experiences or you don't feel the joy of the Lord or you don't feel like the Lord is in you, you know that He is because the Word of God says He is. Because He's never promised, He's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. You see, the problem with most books is they give you a man's method. They give you his ideas. They give you his experiences, but not God's Word. People don't need my opinion. They need the Word of God. These books that these people write, they're not saying you need the Word of God. So let's get back to the Word of God. We don't need any man's book. We need the Bible. We don't need the book of the month. We don't need the current bestseller. We need the book of all ages, the Word of God. And how many churches today really rest upon the Word of God and preach it? There are so many pastors today who have departed and, and, and deviated from the truth of God's Word. They've lost the Bible in the church. And the church today, many churches today, are under the effect of apostasy. Liberalism and culture has gotten into many churches and into many Christians. There's a clear denial of the Word of God even in so-called evangelical churches. The Word of God has become lost in the church and in the home. And there are what one man called practical atheists in the pulpit and in the pews today because they say they believe in God, they believe in the Bible, and yet they live as though He didn't exist. And the first thing that Christian needs to recognize is that revival is personal and it's individual. It starts in the heart with a renewed love for God's Word, for, God, for the worship of God, and for the Lord Himself. What we need are men and women today in all areas of profession to say, like it says here in verse 13, we have not obeyed the words of this book. In other words, I've been wrong, Lord. And I'm going to get right with you. The Bible was providentially found. Hilkiah, the high priest, found the Word of God. And the people put it back into their lives. A return to the Bible has to be the beginning of a revival. That's how it starts. God's providence 
is seen in the care that he placed over his written word. He has wonderfully protected his word down through the centuries from the neglect of hateful men who have wanted to destroy it and have tried to destroy it, but we still have it today. It was Josiah's passion to repair the temple that prepared the way for finding the book. And it was found just in time to give a new movement to this reforming movement. It was reverently examined. Hilkiah recognized the book when he saw it. And Hilkiah gave it to Shaphan, the the scribe, and he read it. Shaphan turned the pages with excitement and with a scribe's instinct, and he was satisfied. Man, this is the real thing. This is the Word of God. Then he took it to Josiah. Notice how it's passed on. That's what we need to do. Pass on the Word of God to people. Then Josiah took it and he read it slowly, especially the parts that were new to him. Our biggest concern should be to know what God will say to us. The psalmist said in Psalm 85, 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. And then they feared the word of God, which is sorely lacking in many churches and many Christians' lives today. Shaphan's announcement here. After learning what the book said for himself, Shaven didn't waste any time bringing it to the king's attention. The book had strong condemnation and terrible warnings. And he wasn't sure how Josiah would take the old message. So this is, this is a really neat to, to glean, really neat to glean from him. He decided not to influence Jehovah's, uh, Josiah's reception of it. You know, he didn't go say, hey, Josiah, look, man, this is the word of God. You really need to look at it. You need to really read it. And, and you really know. He didn't say anything to Josiah. He simply told him, Josiah, I found the book. And he let Josiah read it for himself. You see, the word of God needs no offending. I don't need to prop it up. I don't need to tell people how great it is. I, you know what? Here, read the book. That's what we need to do. Let the word of God speak for itself. And Josiah starts by saying, I did what you told me to do. I gave, I'm sorry, Hilkiah says, I I did what you told me to do, Josiah. I gave the money for the repairs on the temple to the workers, according to verse 9. He said, oh, and by the way, look what I found in the temple. Then he showed the book to the king. Verse 10 says, Hilkiah the priest had given him. And the book was read. This caught the king's interest right away and naturally asked to have the book read to him. And Shaphan, it says in verse 10, began to read it to the king. And when he began to read it, man, it had an immediate and profound effect on Josiah. And when you read the word of God, it should have a profound and immediate effect on your life. How people respond to God's word is a good indicator of their spiritual appetite and how strong their desire is to please the Lord. And our purpose in reading the scripture should be to learn the whole counsel of God. Not just pick parts of it that we like. Don't just look for the promises and leave out the warnings. Or don't think that any part of it isn't for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for the equipping of the saints for all good works. Then there was conviction by the Word of God. The Holy Spirit makes the reading and the preaching of the Word of God an effective way of convicting and saving sinners. 
And miraculous things often hap- have often happened by just the reading of the Word of God itself. I mean, that's how I got saved. No intention of getting saved the night that I got saved. But I picked up the Bible and I read it. I got saved that night. What book do you know that can change your life like the Word of God? That's what happened with Josiah here. The book of the law was the, on, was the only preacher that he needed. And as Shaphan read it to him, its words, like sharp swords, cut to the heart of Josiah between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, exposing our innermost thoughts and desires, as Hebrews tells us. And he knew before, he, Josiah knew before that the nation had committed great sins and God was not happy about it. And he'd done what he could to bring about reforms. But now for the first time, he learned what terrible things were predicted on those who would commit such sins and he saw the great magnitude of the nation's evil. We read he was so deeply moved by the word of God, he tore his clothes and he immediately sent a group of men, verse 13 says, notice, to what? Inquire of the Lord concerning the words of the book. They went to see the prophetess hauled on, verse 14. And we see the power of the word of God to convict men of sin. This power belongs to the words of Scripture like no other book. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Hebrews 4.12 again says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The fact that it's true is an evidence of the true inspiration of Scripture. The power of the Bible comes from the nature of the truth that it declares, from the inspired greatness of its word, from from the thus says the Lord, which stands behind the words spoken in the Scripture. Thus says the Lord. And the Holy Spirit drives them home with the authority and from inward confirmation that these are the words of God. And they touch my conscience. We also see an example of the right reception of the word. Josiah didn't act like King Jehoiakim. Remember when, when, God, when God's warnings were read to him? Remember what he did? He took a knife and he cut the scroll to pieces and he threw it in the fire. When Josiah heard about the terrible things that God would do to the nation in verse 16 here, he didn't question God's fairness about the warnings. He accepted the truth. He accepted the fact that he was uh, righteous, that God was righteous, and the people, including himself, were wicked. Verse 13 says that here. This is how God's word should always be received, with humility and faith, with a trembling heart, a reverent heart at his warnings, but also with joy and hope at its promises. Then light was sought on God's word. He wanted to know more. So verse 14 says, the king sent a group of men to inquire of the Lord because he was hoping to learn what they could do to stop the curse that the sins of many generations had brought upon the nation. The person they went to see was a prophetess named Huldah, according to verse 14, who lived in Jerusalem. And the word was confirmed by her. Now, she couldn't have given them much comfort, but she could only confirm the warnings Verse 15 and 16, she says, tell the man that sent you, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity upon this place. 
because the people committed the sins that the law of God had commanded them not to do. He said, they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods. Verse 17. In closing, we see mercy to the king. He said, tell the man, speaking of Josiah. Josiah was a common name in the scriptures. Tell the man. Huldah had no message of comfort for him. But the king of Judah, as an individual with spiritual needs and concerns, she had a word of mercy for him. She said in verse 19, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself when you heard the misery and the curse that would come upon the land because of the sins. She says, God heard you. And God would spare you from the evil that would come. If the nation as one had repented like Josiah did, if they had all come together and repented like Josiah did, they probably would have been spared as well. God never rejects the humble and the repentant heart. He said in Isaiah 66 too, On this will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And he said in Isaiah 57, 1 and 2, And I will protect them from the evil to come. Wonderful, gracious Father. Thank you for this awesome chapter, Lord. God, I pray that it would convict all of us, God. Father, to read your word, to bring it to church, to open it up in church, to read it at home, God. That we would not neglect it, God. The Lord, we wouldn't leave it on our coffee table, buried under a book of magazines or in our car, under the seat or in the trunk somewhere and Half the time, Lord, we don't know where it's at. We don't know where we left our sword. Lord, help it to be the closest thing to us, Lord. The closest tangible physical thing to us, Lord. May it always be close to us. Never far out of our reach, Lord. Lord, may we know where to go in the scriptures to find peace, to find hope. To find strength, Lord. To find the promises of God as well as the warnings of God. Father, I know how to go, where to go to find comfort, Lord. All that we need is there, Father. Father, may we be children of the Word of God. And if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we do pray that through this message and the response to the Word of God by Josiah and all the people who heard the Word of God, that you would respond to it as well tonight if you don't know Him. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship and if you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to believe His Word, 
that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, that Jesus is the only way. And when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Lord Jesus Christ, that he is Lord, you will be saved. So as the worship team leads us in this song of worship, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, during the song, you get up, make your way towards the steps up front, and I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll say together a simple prayer of faith.